Hello and welcome to Right Where You Are. I am Kainisa, exploring humans and humanity. And what better way to do it than through the lens that is the human eye. Welcome back to yet another episode of Right Where You Are and welcome to Right Where You Are right now, like right over there in that exact moment in all of space and all of time, you are welcome right there. Before we get into the juice, into the content of this episode, I'd just like to make a few announcements. The first is on a joyful note celebrating because the stats for this podcast have gone up in the past couple of months so i'd like to say welcome a very big warm welcome to all the new listeners if you discovered this podcast in the past couple of months welcome and if you are new if you're like brand new this is your first ever rodeo You probably don't know that we never have music on this podcast, but I'm trying things out. I'm figuring things out. I'm currently learning music, learning how to sample, learning while remembering how to play the keys. And I thought, you know, let's do this on the podcast. I'd like to have some fun with it. In the past few episodes, I've been borrowing external audio, and so I thought, yo, I probably know how to do this. Let me try this out. Let's have fun with it. And I would genuinely love to do this a whole lot more in this podcast to incorporate a whole lot more music and storytelling. The one way I put a whole lot of effort into this podcast is research, but I'd like to do it a whole lot more uh, add in a lot more music and fun and sound and offer you the best content I possibly can. Speaking of me as a creator of content, I'd also just like to announce that I've set up an account on Buy Me A Coffee and I'd like to ask you as a supporter, as a listener of this podcast, I'd like to ask for you to help me out. I would really appreciate some donations if you enjoy my content, be it here on the podcast, uh, on my blog or on my Instagram. Please show your support by donating. The donations would be going towards a WordPress subscription for the Learner Human blog, which costs $48. And they'd be going towards a domain for the Learner Human blog, which costs about $12. And it will really, really, really help to have your support in doing this thing and keeping my craft alive, be it for this podcast or for the blog or for my Instagram. And this is not a whole lot. Altogether, it's like $60. doesn't cost a lot. USD, by the way. 
And I could probably afford all of that if I put aside money for like a month or two. It's not a big deal, but I am working on a student budget as an undergrad university student. But more than anything, I desperately want a new phone because the phone I'm using now I've been using since 2018 and it's been giving me problems. Like I have an iPhone with a home button and that home button doesn't even work. Tragic. (laughs) But in order to be able to create content for Instagram, especially, and a whole lot of the time for the podcast too, I would like to get a new phone. And so even if the support that you show and the donations that you make don't exactly go towards me getting a new phone it would really help for you to take the load off of me in any way that you can for learner human to keep learnerhuman.com alive so that i could probably afford to put aside money for a new phone whatever Let's see how it works. But I would deeply, deeply appreciate your support. Please help me out. Show some love on Buy Me A Coffee. I will leave the link for my Buy Me A Coffee account in the description. But generally, if you're ever looking for the link, if you're ever feeling generous and you would like to help me out, the link for my Buy Me A Coffee account will be in my link tree, which is in my Instagram bio, Instagram at learnerhuman. And yeah, I would deeply appreciate your help and your support in keeping this thing going, in keeping my craft alive. Without further ado, let's get into the content. So when I told my partner about the idea of starting a buy me a coffee and wanting to be supported by you as a part of my digital community, as a part of my community, I told him that I'd like to be supported in this way monetarily, right, money-wise. And the first response that he gave me was on cleanliness. He said, that's clean. You know, it's a clean operation. It's clean money. I'm asking. I'm doing it in a clean way. Whereas the opposite of that, the dirty way, the dirty money would be a form of exploitation or scamming. If I try to sell something to you that I have no business selling, no qualification in selling, or if I tried to lie to you in any way to be deceitful or to extract money from you in ways that leave you dry and empty that only benefit me but don't benefit you in any way and so his response on cleanliness got me thinking about the notion of dirt so that's what i want to talk about today i want us to have a conversation on dirt (laughs) 
Dirt as a social construct. Dirt as that which we despise. That which we reject, abject, and expel. Because dirt is other. It contaminates us, rids us of our cleanliness, and therefore our belonging within social order. For this reason, modern man avoids dirt, the very dirt that grows the food he eats, the same dirt he expels as a function of his eating. He tries by all means to never touch the dirt from which his sustenance comes. He avoids the very dirt that built the structures in which he resides. He even wears rubber and canvas to protect his precious feet from the dirt on which his standing is supported. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about dirt. The notion of dirt plays a very big part in our axiology. It tells us a lot about what we value and what we don't, fitting perfectly into our ethics and aesthetics. It tells us a lot about what we praise versus what we condemn, what we like versus what we don't like. And dirt is always what we perceive to be other. And so the notion of dirt also tells us a lot about who we are. Because dirt is that which we discard that which we reject, that which we expel and flush away quickly, never to be seen again. And because of this, there's a lot of us that we can find in the dirt. All my life, my mother has preached to me that cleanliness is next to godliness. My mother is super neat, super organized. She's very structured. She's a person of order. I'm pretty sure my mother can fold a fitted sheet into the shape of a butterfly. Even when in conversation, after you say something to her, it's kind of like you can see her scanning her brain, looking in her folders, all of which are very organized, finding the exact folder that she needs, pulling it out and handing you the perfect response. I'm very grateful that this is how my mother is and that is how she raised me. I think cleanliness and order are great. I operate a lot better when everything is tidy, when I'm put together in a physical way, but also in a more abstract mental way. It gives me a sense of control. A form of certainty. But lately, I've been running on a high, and so I'm kind of out of control. My mind is so busy, I'm beaming with creative ideas, I can't stop them. I wake up in the morning and the first thing I want to do is grab a notebook and start writing, and then I fall asleep at night with my computer in bed with me. There's so much happening in my mind. It's such a mess. There's so much chaos. And it's reflected even in the outside world. I'm not as neat as I usually am. I'm not as clean as I usually am. And right now, I'm being asked to not try to gain control, but to surrender to the mess of it all, to the mess of dirtiness, 
the mess of uncertainty. I'm learning that my messiness is actually very human and that maybe, just maybe, my messiness is next to godliness. I'm learning to love and accept my messiness and not in the complacent way, not in a way where I'm using it as an excuse for bad behavior. I think it's very possible to aspire to be something else, but right now, because I'm here and now, and my messiness is a reality, I can love and accept it as it is right now. There's no point in shaming what is and saying that it should be something else. Because doing that means that I'm more unconscious of what is. Too busy thinking about what should be. And I would rather move through my messiness and my dirtiness more consciously. Why? Because maybe, just maybe, dirtiness is next to godliness. Let's be honest, who set the standard for God? From here, I could take the easy route. You know, the neoliberal leftist route. I could point a finger at the colonialist, imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy, as bell hooks would call it. And that wouldn't be the wrong move because I do see how the standards for godliness and cleanliness benefit the capitalist, colonialist, white supremacist patriarchy, if I said that right. <laughs> I see how the spread of Christianity also meant the spread of the notion of unholiness and the idea that we are all born with sin and in order to be clean, in order to be holy, we must submit to a religion. I see how seeing the body as a site of sin has benefited patriarchy because the more we are disembodied, we're disconnected from the emotional, we're more logical and therefore less womanly. <laughs> I see how the standards of dirtiness and cleanliness and godliness, I see how they've benefited white supremacy. Because, I mean, if you look at even how we think of color, clean is white, dirty is black clean is civilized and for some reason people of color are primitive not civilized barbaric and dirty i see how the notion of cleanliness and godliness benefits capitalism because we're more logical and that means more advancement especially in terms of technology it means that we discipline our bodies a lot more and we're more productive 
we're never clean enough we're never enough we must always be doing more in order to be clean buy more products get more things we're constantly scrubbing the dirt off of our own backs trying to be clean enough and in order to succeed or even to live within the market within community within the church within social order one must adopt cleanliness and this route of pointing at the capitalist imperialist what is it capitalist imper- colonialist <laughs> colonialist imperialist white supremacist capitalist patriarchy taking that route is not completely wrong it's a safe route to take but for me as an african person living on the african continent i can't help but wonder how my ancestors looked at life before colonialism i wonder what our notions of dirt were because surely there were things that we believed to be good and things we believed to be bad there were the things that we accepted and those that we rejected the idea of dirt must have been very different considering that we scooped cow dung with our hands and smeared it on our floors we extracted red ochre from the earth crushed it turned it into clay and painted our faces with it satsikaba imbola the secretion produced from a cow's gallbladder which we call inyongo is a very vital part of many of our practices such as the ritual of ilobola the bride price it's known to be the mechanism through which we bind the ancestors of the two people getting married and all of these things are things that would be considered dirty to the modern human cow dung cow fluids red earth imagine any of these things touching my clean skin Ah. <laughs> I say that ironically by the way. <laughs> But even beyond physical dirt. We have many traditions, all of the previous ones that I mentioned. All of these have to do with a spiritual cleanliness more than a physical cleanliness. We have traditions like umemulo which is the rite of passage to initiate young girls into womanhood and in this we value virginity and maybe i can only look at this from a post colonial perspective but i wonder what the valuing of virginity was actually about i wonder if there was more to it than just the notion of cleanliness even beyond physical cleanliness perhaps even spiritual cleanliness the point i make here is that in every culture there will be the things that are accepted versus the things that are rejected there will always be the things that we praise and the things that we condemn in every culture there is the idea of dirt and the idea of cleanliness dirt forms a big part of our ecology
Now, let's take the idea of dirtiness further and beyond physical. In 1966, the anthropologist Mary Douglas published a book called Purity and Danger. In this book, she examines the idea of cleanliness in different cultures. She makes a connection between modern-day hygiene and the rituals of indigenous peoples worldwide. She notes that a very common practice within indigenous people all around the world is cleansing of spirits, the cleansing of air, of imimoya, of energy. She notes that in indigenous cultures, this practice of cleansing spirits is as common as in modern culture, sanitizing your hands or using toilet paper or spraying an aerosol in the bathroom. This goes to show that dirt is not objective. Mary Douglas says, it is never a unique, isolated event. Where there is dirt, there is system. Dirt is the byproduct of a systematic ordering and classification of matter insofar as ordering involves rejecting inappropriate elements, close quote. Mary Douglas also notes how the modern human, and I love that she speaks of the primitive human, the more indigenous people, and she seems to speak of them in a more respectful way. And then she speaks of us, we modern humans, in a more condescending way. But she notes that the modern human treats material that leaves the body as dirty and some material as clean. So, for example, I would happily touch my tears, but I would never touch my own shit. She notes that bodily functions usually have their own designated places and they need to be enacted in these correct places. Like human secretion, it takes place in its own designated place. We've built the sewage system so perfectly that you can shit and you never have to see your shit again after that. Even corpses, corpses are placed in their specific designated places and to see a corpse outside of its designated place, which is in science or in the church, that's weird. Corpses must be where they belong. Even things like birth. Women must give birth in the designated areas for giving birth. Even when we eat, we have designated places for eating because those are the places that are clean and every other place is not good enough for eating. This separation of places for bodily functions draws a boundary between the human and the animal, or the civilized and the primitive, and therefore the body becomes a symbol for general order in society. And so we reject everything that lives outside of this social order. We reject parts of the body. And sometimes we reject the body as a whole. I'm thinking of this in terms of Christianity and how the body and the flesh is a site for sin. Even in Cartesian dualistic thinking, 
even in philosophies that date as far back as Plato, who thought that the mind is more valuable than the body because the body might just be deceiving us. This makes me think also of Michel Foucault. If you know, I am a big fan of Foucault and his work. And he's done a lot of work thinking about institutions and power. And how even in uh, the book Madness and Civilization, he goes to think about what we believe to be clean, which is the civilized, and dirty, which is madness. And how we have specific places where the dirty must go, even in discipline and punish, where the place for the dirty is the prison or the asylum, and the clean is what belongs within our society. In Discipline and Punish, he speaks a lot about how because of this ordering of cleanliness and dirtiness of the the normal person versus the deviant person, we have this tendency then to want to project ourselves as being the normal person and therefore rejecting impulse. How we learn to survey ourselves and regulate our bodily functions and discipline the body so much so that we might just not be ourselves anymore. The notion of dirt and clean creates order. And I mean, it makes sense because we need order in order to have societies. We need order so that we can have power relations. We need to know what is praised and what is condemned in order for there to be power dynamics. And that makes me wonder if this is what Foucault meant when he said that where there is power, there is resistance. Because the power here is that which is clean. And maybe by rejecting the dirty, that is a form of resistance against something. And so we have that which we accept that is the power, and that which we resist, the dirt, the ugly, the bad. Modern man sees the body as dirty, and therefore the modern man is constantly rejecting the body and thus rejecting the self. There looms within abjection one of those violent, dark revolts of being, directed against a threat that seems to emanate from an exorbitant outside or inside, ejected beyond the scope of the possible, the tolerable, the thinkable. It lies there, quite close, but it cannot be assimilated. It beseeches, worries, and fascinates desire which nevertheless does not let itself be seduced. Apprehensive, desire turns side, sickened it rejects. A certainty projects it from the shameful, a certainty of which it is proud holds on to it, but simultaneously just the same, that impetus, that spasm, that leap is drawn towards and elsewhere as tempting as it is condemned unflaggingly, like an inescapable boomerang, 
a vortex of summons and repulsion. Places the one haunted by it literally beside himself. These are the words of the literary critic and philosopher Julia Kristeva in her essay, Approaching Abjection. This concept of abjection, theorized by Kristeva, is a human reaction of horror and vomit and just, ah, puke, no. The sense of rejection of something. It is the reaction that occurs when there's a breakdown in meaning within the symbolic order. Kristeva draws this notion of the symbolic order from the theories of the psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan. The symbolic order is the order in which we all exist, the unsaid yet agreed upon rules of society. And all of us are initiated into this unsaid order as soon as we are initiated into language, as soon as we are able to distinguish between self and other. Abjection occurs when there's a loss of distinction between self and other, between subject and object. The primary example of what causes this reaction of abjection is a corpse. Because a corpse is a body, and we know that this body was once alive, but it no longer is. And so there's a breakdown in meaning. This body was once alive, so in some way it is self, but it is also dead, so it is other. And the lines between self and other are blurred. It's a reminder of our own materiality and our own mortality. There are other examples of abjection and objects that bring about this reaction of abjection, like seeing an open wound, like seeing shit, like seeing rotten fruit, because we know that this is a thing that is usually eaten, but as it is, it's causing me disgust. When we see sewage, and according to Kristeva, even the skin that forms on the surface of warm milk. The reaction of objection occurs in the body. So is it the body rejecting the body? The self rejecting the self? Is this the creation of fragments within the self, where only some is welcome and the rest is not. Because sure, we reject and abject what exists in the physical world, but a lot of the time we're abjecting even what exists in the abstract world, the world of thoughts and feelings and ideas and behaviors, there are the things that are abstract that we believe to be sinful and vile and wretched. Because Kristeva 
built on this theory of abjection by way of psychoanalysis, drawing largely from the work of Jacques Lacan. I have reason to connect this to more of psychoanalysis. Now, I don't know a lot about the work of Lacan himself, but I see how this concept of abjection occurs even from a Jungian perspective. Like in typical psychoanalysis, Jungian psychoanalysis considers the psyche as split into the conscious and the unconscious. In Carl Jung's model of the psyche, there is the shadow as a part of the individual's unconscious mind-body. And in my experience, the process of rejecting things and tucking them away neatly into the shadow, the process of relegating to the shadow, is often one of abjection. Often there are things within us that we expel so quickly and flush them away so that we never have to see them again and we spray an aerosol, pretend that they don't exist, far gone into the shadow. Often to maintain an organized ego and a lot of the time to maintain the organized social order. In the words of the writer and modern mystic Carolyn Lovewell, the psyche has an imperative to unconsciously cover up socially unacceptable pleasure with an exaggerated sensation of repulsion in order to preserve the survival of the organism. Close quote. To share with you an example from my own life of this process of rejecting, abjecting, and relegating into the shadow, I have a rather petite physique. But there have been times in my life where I look down at my belly and I believe that it's too big. And when I believe such, I can feel occurring in my body the sense of abjection because a big belly is not a good thing according to the social order. And so I can feel in my body my body rejecting itself. I'm like pushing away what is. I'm like, no, this thing is bad. It's ugly. It's disgusting. I don't want it to be part of my body. The self rejecting the self. The self expelling the self. Another example I can share with you, because this one I experienced a whole lot as a dark-skinned person, especially as a dark-skinned woman, for a long time, I've believed that I'm not beautiful enough because of my dark skin, and therefore I'm not feminine enough. And in this process, I have felt the self rejecting itself, trying to exercise the darkness from my skin with every product and every remedy. I've witnessed this occurrence of abjection within my own body in times where I tried to compensate for my lack of femininity by overperforming femininity, by fawning, by overcompensating. I've experienced this occurrence, this reaction of abjection Every time in my life where I tried to be something else or someone else 
in order to be more clean, more feminine, more put together, more smart, more logical, less messy, less over-emotional, less sensitive, more organized, more logical, more put together and straightforward. Every single time in my life where I have tried to be something that is not me, this occurrence of objection bubbled in my body because in trying to be something else, I was rejecting what already is. I was rejecting the self. So now I'm in a place where I'm learning that I'm not always the most put together person. I'm not always the best, more stable. I'm not at all emotionally stable. I'm not the most logical person. I'm not the most academic person. I am a human. I am an animal. I am dirty. I am sinful. I am vile. I am wretched. Because my dirtiness is next to godliness. I am dirty, sometimes physically. I am dirty. Sometimes I like to play in the soil and run around in the rain. I like to walk around barefoot. All of us, all of us, we sit down on the toilet, spread them butt cheeks, and we shit. And guess what? That is us, no matter how much we pretend to be clean and civil and human. That is us. And now, I want to note here that I'm not advocating for abandoning hygiene or advocating for abandoning structure or organization or discipline. No. What I am doing is I'm saying that sometimes we need to be able to recognize that dirt is a social construct and the standards of cleanliness and godliness in a very big way are twisted. In a very big way, the standards don't allow us to be us fully and a lot of the time we are rejecting us. We are rejecting our humanity. I used to chase cleanliness and virtue and beauty. I used to do this based on the standards that are set. But now, more than anything, I aim to be true. I aim to be me. I aim to be me completely, fully, wholly. Because me, whether dirty or clean, is holy. I'm learning that God is with me all the time, no matter what. I'm learning that God abjects nothing. God loves all because God is all. God is with me when I'm donating to charity and reading the Bible. God is with me when I'm in the gym and I'm speaking my truth on a podcast. But God is also with me when I'm doom scrolling on Instagram while taking a shit. God is also with me when I'm binging Netflix and stuffing junk food in my face. God is with me when I'm sinning. God is with me everywhere. Because God is all. God is omnipresent. And for the fact that something exists, 
be it good or bad, it is God. There's the saying by the words by the historian Professor Yuval Noah Harari, where he says that biology enables and culture forbids. Dirt is a part of my nature. My biology enables dirt. My humanity enables dirt. And it is only culture that forbids my dirt. I am the dirt. I'm such a firm believer of dust to dust, ashes to ashes. I'm such a firm believer of the fact that we come from the soil and we were sculpted from clay. I am the dirt. Dirt and dirtiness is the reason I am alive because dirtiness is next to godliness. I want to close off this episode with the words by Professor Yuval Noah Harari from his book, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. He says, culture tends to argue that it forbids only that which is unnatural. But from a biological perspective, nothing is unnatural. Whatever is possible is by definition also natural. A truly unnatural behavior, one that goes against the laws of nature, simply cannot exist. So it would need no prohibition. Close quote. You have been listening to Right Where You Are. In today's episode, we covered dirt. Dirt as a notion, as a phenomenon. But most importantly, dirt as a social construct. We spoke about why it could be beneficial for us to welcome dirt into our lives. Next week, we'll talk about how ironic it is that I presented a talk on the concept of dirt in a rather clean manner by way of my use of academic research and credible sources. Very ironic, <laughs> but... Until then, welcome to right where you are.